Shall we talk about happiness? That would make me happy. Uh, so what I want to do today is um, talk about what happiness is and then a little bit about the interbeing of happiness and suffering and then spend the bulk of our time talking about how to practice to water the seeds of happiness. So that's the general outline of what I'd like to do. And later we'll do a little exercise around this. All right, so let's start with a question. I, I'm, I'm really interested to hear what people have to say. What is happiness? Can you define it? I mean, I think we know it when we feel it, but what is it? And don't worry, I'm not trying to trip you up and say, you know, have you give a bunch of straw man answers so that I can knock those apart. I'm just interested in, and feel free to bow in and, and what is actually happiness for you? Margaret, hi. Hi. I'd say happiness is when a number of things fall into place such that you are in the moment. Thank you. Anybody else? Debbie bowing in. Um, these days, happiness is stillness and an undisturbed heart. A calm, still, peaceful feeling. Thank you. With some joy. Great. Is Dan bowing in? Happiness is when I'm smiling and I don't realize that I'm smiling. <laughs> uh, thank you. Maybe one more. You're bowing in. The first word that came is uh, clarity. clarity. When I'm unencumbered and there's just this uh, feeling of freedom and clarity. Mm, through nice. bowing out. <clears throat> oh, some great, some great ideas. So how about I throw out sort of a, my working definition for happiness, at least for now. Happiness is the feeling that arises when we recognize that we're surrounded by favorable conditions. The feeling that arises when we recognize that we're surrounded by favorable conditions. So those favorable conditions could be something like um, a beautiful sunset or a laughing baby. Who couldn't feel happy with a laughing baby? Or like last night, uh, shared a really nice meal on our deck with a group of friends. Very, very much a happy situation. Lots of happy conditions. So as usual, our teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, gets right to the point when he says, happiness is here and now. Happiness is recognizing that you have everything you need here and now. So if, it, that, if that is true, it seems that there's two ways that we can generate happiness. 
the first way would be to create more conditions for happiness. And, and that is really just so sewn into, at least in the United States, the social culture. You know, we have in the Constitution, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That the, the real goals of our life are to be alive, to be free, and to be able to create more conditions of happiness for ourselves. Um, <clears throat> you know, we probably all do this a lot. I was thinking about, especially early in my marriage, Sandra and I moved around a lot. We moved houses every few years. And I think we had this idea that, oh, we'll be happier when we go there. So let's go there. And then after a little while, that wore off. And then we thought, oh, okay, well, there'll be more conditions of happiness if we go there. And, and we did that uh, a number of times. But what I realized in doing that is that that can be an endless pursuit. Endless pursuit. Um, and the reason it's endless is that everything is impermanent. So what made me happy in the moment, in the next moment, may not anymore. And so I go off pursuing something else. One of the things I had to giggle about as we were moving was that we lived in a house uh, with a microwave on the countertop. And then we moved to a house that had a built-in microwave. And we still had our other microwave. So when we're moving, we just put the second microwave on the counter and we started using two microwaves. And we had little kids and heating up lots of stuff. And it seemed really great to have two microwaves. And then we moved again to a house where we just had one and we felt so deprived. <laughs> so not only are the things that we're pursuing impermanent, but our idea of what we need is also impermanent. You know, yesterday's luxuries become today's necessities and they no longer make us happy. So I had to suffer through with a single microwave. Oh, so awful. And the five remembrances are there to remind us about that. Uh, all that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. So because of this, we can end up on a hedonic treadmill, they call it in the social sciences. Hedonic treadmill, I like that. Always chasing after the next thing we think will make us happy. So, you know, if we, we want to get our happiness just by creating more conditions for happiness, we might end up chasing our tail. We might not feel that much happier after all. Maybe we're more like an addict. So what's the other way? The other way to generate more conditions of happiness is to cultivate our ability to see the favorable conditions that are already there. So we cultivate our ability to see the favorable conditions that are already present in our lives. And luckily, this is the realm of practice. The realm of practice doesn't really tell us, well, keep chasing after more things that'll make you happy. It tells us to be aware of what makes you happy right here in this present moment. As Tai says, happiness is here and now. Hmm. He also said that uh, true happiness means you don't need to run after anything anymore. You don't have to be on the hedonic treadmill 
chasing after the next thing that makes you happy. The true happiness is realizing that you have what you need right here and that you simply open your eyes and open your heart to seeing them. I find that very liberating. I find that very liberating. That seems a lot easier than chasing after new things to make me happy all the time. So happiness and suffering uh, inter-are. We can't really talk about one without mentioning the other. And I think it's important that we re recognize this, uh, particularly since the Buddha taught that, he said, I teach the reality of suffering and the cessation of suffering. That was his main teaching. And Thai has taught about happiness. And some people think, well, is he really teaching what the Buddha taught? And I think he is. I think he is. I don't think we need to talk just about suffering because they actually inter-are suffering and happiness. They're on a continuum. As you create more happiness, you have less suffering. As you have more suffering, you have less happiness. So they, they, are, they are like the mud and the lotus. They inter-are and they're on a continuum. So when we talk about practices to increase our happiness, we're also talking about practices that decrease our suffering. So this isn't straying really from what the Buddha taught, I don't think. But it is giving a different angle in than we might have uh, taken if we were just studying the early sutras. Okay, so that's all kind of a kind of intro to what I really want to talk about. And that's um, the practices that help us realize that we are surrounded by the conditions of happiness all the time, even when it doesn't appear that we are. And I'm gonna talk about four different things that we can do, four different things, and they, and they sort of work sequentially. So the first thing is we need to set an intention to see those happiness conditions. This is really important because our mind is wired to not see that. Our mind is wired to, to go after the next thing over the horizon. I don't know if that's biological or if that's sociological or psychological, but for some reason it seems common to all of us. So we have to set an intention to see the conditions that we have. I'm particularly resonating these last months with the gata for entering the meditation hall and I'm finding it very helpful for me in just this area. So this is the gata. Entering the meditation hall, I see my true self. As I sit down, I vow to cut off all disturbances. For those of us at Morning Light, we've mentioned this gata several times. And I wanna, I wanna go a little more deeply into this gata than we've had a chance to, because I really find it key for my setting of an intention to see the happiness that is present. I'm gonna take it line by line. Entering the meditation hall, I see my true self. So first of all, you don't have to choose this when entering the meditation hall. 
This can be when you enter the kitchen, when you enter the car, when you enter the bathroom, when you enter a conversation. It's simply a, a way to remember again, entering anything, remember again. So when you remember, when you enter somewhere, I see my true self. See my true self means trusting that you are more than this chaos of your mind. There is more here than just my desire for that next thing or my aversion that comes up. I'm more than that, and I need to remember that. Otherwise, I'll just operate from that small idea of what I am. As I sit down, I vow to cut off all disturbances. I vow. Vow is a word we sometimes trip over. It sounds pretty big. But to vow means simply forming an intention. And forming an intention in a deep way that you really want to hold this intention. So you vow. And in this case, when I say I vow to cut off all disturbances, what I mean is I vow to be with my life as it is right now, not in some mental game that I might play, but my life right now, here and now, these conditions. I vow to cut off all disturbances. So cutting off, that sounds pretty Manjushri-ish, right? Manjushri's sword cutting right through. But to cut off means coming home to the here and now instead of being somewhere else. It is entirely possible for us to live our entire lives without living our life. Really, to, to live our life not in the here and now, but in the past and in the future and in lost in thoughts and with our anger or our craving and miss our life. These endless thoughts that we're vowing to cut off can trap us in some kind of a pretend world rather than the real world that we actually have. There's a, a phrase in, in the Zen literature where uh, it says, don't put another head on top of your own. And I love that because um, we have a head. You know, we know how to be present for our life. That's our real head. But what do we do? We put another head on top of it that's filled with rumination and thinking and planning and anger. So don't put another top head on top of your head is the Zen wisdom. If you do, your real head doesn't notice the here and now. You just go boop, right up to the second head and you live there. Not in your real life. Hmm. So meditation shows us the distinction between what's in our head and what's in the head on top of our head. Or another way to think about it, the distinction between what's in our thoughts and what's real right here and now. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. It, 
our relationship to meditation changes over time. Meditation is the same day after day after day, year after year, generation after generation, because it's simply showing up for things as they are. But our thoughts about meditation are all over the place, right? Sometimes we decide we love it. Sometimes we decide we hate it. It's boring. We don't want to do it. It's the best thing ever. I'm going to be enlightened tomorrow. I'm never going to get enlightened. You know? But meditation is exactly the same every time. It's only the head on top of our head that thinks it's different. Meditation is simply paying attention to things as they are. So our primary challenge as meditators isn't meditation, it's our thoughts about meditation. So this gata, cut off all disturbances. If we could cut off those disturbances and simply show up, meditation would naturally transform our suffering. And that's why setting this intention to cut off all disturbances is vital. Otherwise, we may just sit on our cushion in the head on top of our head instead of in our actual body, in our actual life. Our own mind is the disturbance that we're cutting off. Our own mind is the disturbance that we're cutting off. It's not the barking dog or the garbage truck that's annoying us. It's our own mind. So cutting off doesn't mean avoiding or denying what's going on. Not at all. It means living on that knife's edge between denying reality and indulging our thoughts about it. You know, we, we go in that knife's edge. And I've talked about this before as not fleeing or feeding. So cutting off isn't running away. It's, it's agreeing to be with it without pushing it away or feeding it more energy. Okay, so that's the first thing. That was a lot about that first thing. But I wanted to say a lot about it because I thought it's really important. Of If anything we do, setting intention is vital and foundational because without that, we won't progress to the next step. That gata is really helpful to me to set an intention, but maybe something else is helpful to you. There are many ways to set an intention. So I'd like to leave that open, not like you have to imitate what I just talked about, but find a way that you want to set your intention and then really diligently follow that. Okay, let's go on to the second one. <clears throat> so once we have set an intention, then we actually have to carry out that intention. But it's difficult to do because when I walk in that door of the meditation hall every day and I say that gata, I realize that I am carrying a certain momentum with me that the gata points out to me that I have. I didn't realize it before I said the gata, but I realized as I say the gata, oh, I've got momentum. So what do I mean about that like momentum? Um, 
one of the things that nearby where many of us live that live here around uh, Anacortes or Guimas Island is the there's a oil refinery nearby. And these big tankers come in from Alaska and they offload this crude oil and the, the refinery refines it into other products that are then loaded onto trains. And these trains rumble along next to the main road uh, from Anacortes uh, out. And those trains can be really, really long. Lots and lots of cars. And one day I counted uh, the cars and there was more than 100 cars filled with oil. And I got curious about that. I got curious. I did some, some research. I found out each one of those train cars weighs about 300,000 pounds. And if there's a hundred of them, that means 30 million pounds of oil is going down that track. Now that strikes me as a wonderful metaphor for momentum. Because here's the 175 pound engineer in the, in the locomotive at the head of that train. And how's that little person supposed to stop or start 30 million pounds worth of oil in these, in these oil cars? And as I thought about it some more, I thought that's a lot like me, you know, behind me is one train car filled with uh, my momentum from my projects. So I got to sort of stop, find a way to stop that. Well, right behind that is another train car filled with the momentum from my family conditioning. So I've got to find a way to stop that. And right behind that one is another one filled with the momentum of all the things that I do in my life. And I could fill all those cars with different kinds of momentum that I'm carrying. And I feel sometimes like that, like that engineer in the locomotive that's trying to stop a 30 million pound train. How do you do that? How do you do that? So you probably have some of the same kinds of momentum that I have, but you probably have your own sorts of momentum too. How do you stop it? How do you make it so that when you actually come in here to sit down, you can cut off disturbances? The best way I've found to do that for myself is another one of Ty's very simple teachings. And I, I do this one quite a bit, particularly when I find that I'm pulling on that brake handle and it doesn't seem to be slowing me down. And so it's the, it's the, uh, it's, well, it's from a poem that he wrote that we've turned into a guided meditation. Shall we do it? Let's do an abbreviated version of it together. So come, come into meditation and I'll just simply guide you through this and you're probably familiar with it already. But it's nice to feel it in the context of thinking about, I'm going to slow my momentum down during this exercise. Breathing in, I know that I am breathing in. Breathing out, I know that I am breathing out. In, out.
Breathing in, I feel my breath grow deep. Breathing out, I feel my breath become slow. Deep, slow. Breathing in, my body becomes calm. Breathing out, my mind is at ease. Calm, ease. Breathing in, I smile. Breathing out, I release. Smile, release. Breathing in, I'm aware of the present moment. Breathing out, I know that this is a wonderful moment. Present moment, wonderful moment. So that really helps me. And sometimes I've got so much momentum that I have to stay with just in, out, in, out, in, out for a while until I realize that staying within, out, my breath has naturally become deeper and slower. So then I stay with that for a while and I turn to the next car behind me in the train and I practice deep and slow, deep slow until I see that my body is calmer and my mind has more ease. I stay with that until I naturally can smile and release. And I stay with that until finally the present moment reveals itself and I see that it is wonderful. So again, that's how I slow my momentum. But you may have other ways to do it. And please trust your own wisdom. Try this one if you like. But if you find one that really works for you, dive in deep. Dive in deep with it. Make it yours. Slowing momentum. Okay, now the next one, number three. <clears throat> we're going to turn to our mind, and we're going to pay attention to our mind. And we are going to, once we have set the intention and slowed our momentum, we're now going to watch that head that's on top of our head. And we're going to watch it very closely. 
But meditation is the art of being present for your life. And now that your momentum is slowed down, you actually can be present for your life, for things as they are. And one of the most pervasive things that we will notice is that our mind is generating thoughts all the time. Almost all the time. Sometimes it slows down. So what, we're, what I'm going to suggest we do is begin to watch our thoughts with a kind of curiosity. We notice when it's arising, we look at it closely, we know what its content is, we welcome it and we let it go. Or if we want to use Manjushri language, we cut it off. So the best way to do this that I know of is to, is to label our thoughts. So as they come up, we notice that a thought is coming up and we give it a simple label. Hmm. Rumination. And then we cut it off. And then the next thought comes up. Hmm. Planning. And we cut it off. Hmm. One thought after another, we just do that again and again and again. So the, the, the skill here is to not to be too um, general in our labels. Like, you know, you don't want to use such a general label that is meaningless, like, oh, thought, right? That's too general because that, there's so many different kinds of thoughts. But it doesn't help to be also too specific when you label them. So you don't want to say, okay, I just had a thought about my mother's red dress she wore on the 4th of July in 1982. You know, that doesn't help a whole lot either. So you've got to find this sort of middle ground where you give labels to the thoughts that are actually helping you to, to see what's coming up. Uh, for me, what I notice, uh, I have several types of thoughts that come up and they, they fall into categories. Uh, one, one category that I've learned to label is thoughts about revising history to make myself look better. You know, that, so a thought comes up and, I, and I, I wish I'd said this instead of that. And so I, you know, that thought comes up. Or I wish I hadn't done that and had done the other thing instead. Um, so that's one type of thought, revising the past. Another type of thought for me is planning the future. You know, what, you know, what am I going to get at the store? What am I going to cook for dinner tonight? What am I going to talk about in the next Dharma talk on Tuesday? You know, this kind of stuff. So I just label that planning. Or here's a big one that comes up for me a lot. Explaining something to somebody who isn't there. I see a few nodding heads, you know, so you're telling somebody who isn't there something. Oftentimes it's like letting them know the real truth because they don't know or, you know, something like that. So I just, I just label that thought, you know, explaining something to someone who isn't here. And then I cut it off and let it go. And, you know, at first, this is a lot of work. This feels like, like, oh, can I really do this? It's, it's maybe even boring. But as I've stuck with this practice for some time, it's had a couple of really uh, positive effects that uh, maybe you'll, you'll also share these. 
So the first thing that's happened is it helps me really see my mind clearly. And I can't let go or cut off of what I can't see. Before I did this practice, oftentimes thoughts would come up and they would sweep me away for a long time before I realized that they'd even come up. Like rumination, for instance. Rumination can come up and you can be ruminating for a half an hour before you realize that you're ruminating. But when I, when I label it right away, rumination, I know what it is. And I know that that's my mind's tendency. And further, I've watched the rumination enough to know that rumination does not solve my problem. So I want to cut it off. So the first effect is that you see your mind clearly. And then the second effect, which I think is, is probably even more important, is that when you do this, you see that your mind is a mess. You see that your mind is an absolute mess. Like everyone else's. It's not like there's something wrong with you. You see that it's a mess. And once you see that, you say, why would I defend this mess? Why would I defend the head on top of my head thinking, oh, that's me, and that's what I have to defend from the world. It's not me, and I don't need to defend it. It's a mess. And do you really want to live in that mess? At the end of your life, do you want to look back and say, I lived in that messy head on top of my head instead of the actual life that was given to me, that was right in front of me? I don't. I want to live this life, not that pretend life that's in that head on my head. Okay. On to the fourth thing. So we've got the practices. We've got the, we've got the difficult stuff. We've got the setting the intention, slowing the momentum, and then labeling our thoughts. Now, the fourth one, the easy part. Let's enjoy our happiness. Let's actually enjoy our happiness. In that gatha, it says, when I enter the meditation hall, I see my true self. And our true self is undisturbed. It's undisturbed by those thoughts and emotions it's undisturbed by the actions of others. It's undisturbed by the future and by the past. Our true self has no desires and no judgments and no expectations. Our true self is simply kind awareness. That's what's in our true head. And that's so easy. It takes no effort at all to be there. It is a joy. Calming our minds so that we can rest in our true self is the greatest condition for our happiness. It is the greatest gift you can give yourself and others 
So when we talk about happiness, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about coming home to our true self in this way, not being distracted by all those thoughts, all that momentum, but simply coming home to that part that is not disturbed at all. Oh, and the joy. So learning to come home to your true self does take effort. Practice is hard. Oftentimes we don't want to do it. And we have to do these steps again and again and again. It might not feel like we're making any progress at all. But the happiness itself is effortless. Effortless. Happiness is simply that calm witnessing that does not need to judge or push or pull. So the irony here is that the more you practice with effort, the more you discover effortless happiness. And we do that again and again until one day, one day, we really know the truth of this line from the Discourse on Happiness. And that line is, to be in the world with your heart undisturbed by the world. This is the greatest happiness. So that's what I want to say about happiness. Take the head off the top of your head and happiness is right there. So easy and hard. But luckily we get to do it together. <laughs>